Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Before we really get going today, I want to wish the two of you happy birthday and also happy birthday to me because uh, today is, okay, it's not really so much our birthday, but it's our 50th episode today, number 50. So congratulations to all of us. Yes, definitely. Yay, congratulations. Us. Yay. And even further before we get going, I want to talk about something that I said at the very beginning and that I kind of just said right there, which is starting out a sentence with, I want to say, and then saying the thing that I want to say. This is something that a listener of the radio station I work at, uh, one listener in particular, is very bothered by. And I have to admit that it does bother me when I hear people say it, even though I tend to say it just without thinking. Do you guys ever think about that when when you start out saying, I, I want to wish you happy birthday or I want to say thank you? rather than just saying it? It's a place filler, I think. I think we're hesitating before we say it. We want to kind of, not a, not a place filler as much as a, it sets the whole thing up. And I think in that sense, it's sort of valid. I want to say, and then we, get my, get, everyone gets attention now, we have their attention, and then now you say it. I think that seems to be the reason we're using it. I also using. think it's an emphasizer. Yes. In that sense, it's, it, it emphasizes what you're saying. I want to say yes, as opposed to saying yes. You know? Yeah, it doesn't particularly bother me. Although, because I'm a big um user as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like your explanation that it does kind of set the stage or it does kind of emphasize what you're about to say. I, that that really works for me. And, and I think I'm going to think about that uh, as I go forward. But that also kind of brings us into some of the stuff that we want to talk about today, which is that in a literal sense, you certainly don't need to say it. It doesn't It doesn't do what you want it to. You don't need to say, I want to wish you happy birthday. You could just do it. So in a literal sense, it's redundant. But when you're using it uh, figuratively or, or as just a, a turn of phrase, it actually does serve a purpose. And there's one word in particular that has raised the ire of a whole lot of people this week and has for a really long time, but this week particularly, and that is irregardless, which, of course, grates on my ears just to say out loud. Uh, but can you guys just give us a little rundown on what's been going on this week with that word? Well, yeah, actually, it started at the beginning of the month. It's an, in July. A guy on Twitter uh, did a screenshot of irregardless uh, being defined in Merriam-Webster, MW Online. And he and he had as the subject, he wrote, it's a, it was a good run English language. So obviously it's like, ah, how can they have irregardless in there? But then Merriam-Webster very cleverly retweeted his tweet and added, which I thought was just brilliant, it's a little soup son of, of salt in the wound, said, yep, English is literally dead. So there you have it, irregardless and literally at the same time. But okay, maybe we should go into the irregardless, though, why, why they're upset, why some people are upset about it and why some people are not upset about it. And the whole idea basically is regardless means without concern or warning or hardship putting the the IR in front of it, it makes it a double negative. Not, and which is 
English says double negatives are a no-no, which is a double negative no-no. <laughs> but um, what happened was that Merriam-Webster said it's it's what's called a prescript, uh, descriptive dictionary. It records what people are saying and how common that word is used. And it has, to some degree, like it or not, entered the English language. So the, the b- debate then becomes... Should they have put it in the dictionary? Well, they're saying, of course we should. People are saying it. We're not judging if they're saying it or not. We're just saying it. They're saying it. We put it in the dictionary. That's, I think, a crucial point. I, we, I really think we have to stress because a lot of people, I think, think that dictionaries or, or all dictionaries are saying this is correct. By putting a word in here, it's right, period. And as Ross said, what what's called descriptive means they're putting the word in because it's used. And in the case of Merriam-Webster, they actually first included irregardless in the dictionary back in 1934. So it's not as new as people think. It's not. And then they also noted when they talked about irregardless that it had been used since about 1795 in regular language and like normal speaking language or written for that matter. So they're saying we just record what's being used. We're not saying, yes, this is good or no, this is bad. That's just out there. Irregardless is out there whether you like it or not. That said, if you look at it, I just looked it up right now in the Oxford English Dictionary online. And no, no, I'm sorry. I looked at online etymological dictionary. They say it's an erroneous word. Etymologically, it means the opposite of what it is used to express. However, now I want to throw something else out, which is sort of interesting. The key objection to it is that it's a double negative. And I think, you know, as Kathy knows with Spanish and as Fletcher, I'm sure you know with English, many other languages besides English have double negatives without any problem. Uh, je ne veux rien. I don't want nothing, literally in French. Kathy, how would you say that in Spanish? Um, offhand now, I can't think of it. But I was just thinking, like, uh, I don't have, I don't have any, I don't have any would be in Spanish. I don't have nothing. No tengo ninguno. I don't have, I mean, so you've got like that nobody knows. Uh, I never, sm- well, no, that's not. Well, no quiero nada. I don't want nothing. He said nothing is no dijo nada. nada. No, I, he doesn't, he didn't, what, I'll go on. Oh, sorry, I would just say no quiero nada, which I was trying to say earlier. That's the easier, faster one to say. Because nada means nothing. Mm. And no quiero, I don't want mm. nothing, which, you know, obviously is a double negative. And the interesting thing with double negatives, though, is Lat- both Spanish and French are derived from Latin. Latin doesn't have a double negative. So I think probably what happened was common people or regular people started using the double negative and it got into the language. And in this case, we're seeing sort of what's happened with Spanish and um, French in English. Irregardless is a double negative and it's coming in. And we do use it in English, too. I don't want nothing. I think we instinctively know what it means. Okay, so the IR usually means is 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 a negative, right? Does that does that prefix? I'm just I'm just thinking out loud now because I never looked I haven't looked this up. Ever function like here, Merriam-Webster says it functions as an intensifier. The IR prefix Do, is it used anywhere else where it's not a negative IR prefix? Can you guys think of any? The IR is first of all not really a prefix. The key thing is it's really IN. And it elides into the IR with, um, when, it, when it starts with an R, the IN becomes IR automatically. So I'm looking now up IR English words to see. Merriam-Webster has some IR words under their, their definition of irregardless. They have some, they mentioned some other IR words that function in the same way. Irresistless, which means resistless. 
and irrelentlessly, which means relentlessly, um, are See, a couple that's of them. I've never even heard those. No, and I've certainly never heard of those. And they say it's rare, but they do exist. Yeah, the key thing, though, here to remember, though, is the I-R-I-L-I-N, a lot of times E-N, all come from the original Latin in as a prefix. And in can mean not, it can mean going into, and it can be an intensifier or a causative. It can be a lot of different things. And there could be a lot of confusion with that as well. And people really do get fired up about about this word in particular. I This is not a joke. Once when I was, uh, probably about 20 years ago, I saw a guy yell another guy out of a bar because he used <laughs> irregardless. Uh, I mean, he, he got he got thrown out because wow. he used that word. People get really fired up about this. And when I said at the very beginning that it grates on my ears to say it, it does. I don't like it uh, at all. But uh, I definitely recognize, as you guys have said, that uh, this is kind of how how the language works and you know things change and just putting it in the dictionary doesn't mean that it is now a word we should all use it means that it's a word that some people use and even even Miriam Webster says it's best to use regardless instead of irregardless absolutely right they call it non-standard and that's one thing i want to throw out with this prescriptive descriptive dictionary thing Miriam Webster is describing what is said, but as Fletcher just pointed out, they're saying it's non-standard. So basically, they're in a slight way, they're almost being a little teeny bit prescriptive. They're suggesting, perhaps politely, that I wouldn't use it if I were you. Well, this reminds me of the whole thing. Ross, you, you obviously know about it. The whole ain't controversy, which started. That was another one that really set the, the, the word world on fire back in, was it no, 1961, I think? It was in the 60, early 60s, wasn't it? Yeah. When... Uh, they added ain't <laughs> ain't was added to Webster's uh, third new international dictionary. And Webster's third is now known as like a very dicey one because people flipped out that they put ain't in it. Yeah, that was the big change in dictionaries, really. Up to that point, most dictionaries were kind of prescriptive. Do this, don't do this. And uh, then the third Webster's dictionary decided that Michael Gove, I think Gove, got, not Michael. Philip. Gove, yeah. yeah, decided to like, let's be descriptive. Let's see what people are actually saying. And that law, I mean, people were criticizing that dictionary right and left. But today, basically, that has become the idea of most dictionaries. They describe what's being used. And do you think that's the right approach? I think so, actually. I, I think that you've got to be aware of it. Because I, as I said earlier, I think the, mis the problem is, is a lot of people assume if something's in a dictionary. That's the right word. That's that's it. But, I mean, so many words have been added now. I mean, Ross and I were talking about this when we were talking about doing this podcast, actually. I mean, back we're going back to Webster's third, words that he added, Gove added, weren't, wasn't just ain't. He also added astronaut, schlemiel, one of my personal favorites, um, drip dry, beatnik. And these are words that were in, like, regular language, but you never, you know, saw them before in a dictionary. I think that if a dictionary is too um, prescriptive, it says this is this, I think that's fine for a grammar book. But I think that the whole point of a dictionary to me is collecting language and like, how do we communicate nowadays? And I, in that sense, I, th I, I, what, Ross is going to disagree with me? I agree with Kathy in, in the largest sense. I, I think dictionaries are valuable because we need to know what is being said when. I do think there's a slight danger with um, descriptivism of overdoing the sense that and this is not the dictionary's fault, it's our attitude towards the dictionary that anything in effect goes. Language changes, I agree, and I, 
applaud actually uh, Miriam Webster for indicating that irregardless is non-standard. I do think, though, to some degree, we need some standards. I was listening to an academic just recently up here saying, basically, I try to teach my students to speak as they wish to speak and that anything in effect goes with language. And she actually used um, Miriam Webster as a dictionary defending her viewpoint, which I don't think is very accurate. You're not going to get into into a good school if you if you use ain't and irregardless when you write your essay. And I think that's where I think I agree with Kathy, but I think we do need to be careful when we look at a dictionary and look at those little lines, non-standard, not in general use. I think we do need to do that. Well, that I agree. To, OK, I agree with you. So I don't need I can put my lance down now. I, I totally agree with you. I think that the problem is, as I said earlier, is I keep saying, actually, to, 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 to the point of boredom, apparently, that um dictionaries are not are, are collections of usage they're not saying you know this is right and you got what you said Ross with the non-standard and I think more people have to be aware of that instead of just going oh my god they added irregardless and now they're saying that you can use figuratively like literally they're not they're saying that's what people are doing and I but I think you're right we do need standards I don't think we need a board like you know the French or the Spanish but I mean although that might be kind of nice then we could get a job there Ross <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, it's more like we need to rethink what the purpose of the dictionary is rather than assuming that everything in the dictionary is necessarily is is proper English. We need to recognize that, as you said, the dictionary is describing the language, not that just because it's in the dictionary means that we ought to use it. And I think we also need to be careful that we don't take an I mean, this is going to be probably controversial for some people, but I don't think we need to. We cannot be overly liberal in our usage of, of words for obvious reasons. Merriam-Webster includes a lot of uh, very pejorative words regarding people of different races or whatever, and I certainly wouldn't use those words in general conversation. But more to the point, things like irregardless are not going to get you into a school that you'd like to go to or into a good job that you'd like to have. I, I think you do need to have some degree of a standard. However, there are so many words, we've talked about this before, you guys, that that have not been considered correct or have been non-standard that are now fine. I mean, hopefully is the one that immediately comes to my mind. Everybody used to like have their teeth would get set on edge if you used hopefully. There was always someone who said, you'd say, oh, hopefully I can make it tomorrow. And they'd be like, aha, that just, you're not full of hope. You know, that whole thing, that argument. And I mean, and I use hopefully in in the, the way that I just used it now. I, I use hopefully, which is not the technically correct way, but now it's accepted. Oh, of course. So I would argue that yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff like I wonder if irregardless right now, we're all saying it sets our teeth on edge, but it's really distinctly possible that in, say, 50 years, we won't bat an eye. Of course, that's what I was saying with with the double negative in Latin. I mean, with none, not in Latin and then coming into French an extremely proper French, you use a double negative. And that's probably what will happen with regardless. It's a double negative. No one's going to care in about 100 years. Yeah, but it's pretty clear we shouldn't use it right now if if we want to be taken seriously. Exactly. Language is a, is a river, but we're we're not floating with the river. We're right here, right now on the bank, and I think we've got to use what's going right by us right now. And I would not use non-standard English if I want to get a, a good job or I want to speak at a, at a meeting or whatever. The P I, I want to make it clear, the people who say irregardless is not a word just are not correct. Irregardless is a word, but it's not a recommended Correct. word, right? It's not. It's not necessarily a word that we should use. But but if you're if someone says irregardless to you and your rejoinder is that's not a word, that you simply are not 
correct when you say that. It is a word. It's not a word we would choose to use. It's not even a word that people probably ought to be using, but but it is a word. It's not nonsense sounds. No, it a, means a definition something. of a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing. And irregardless fits that thing. We know what it means. It's distinct. And it appears in, in speech and in writing. It is a word. Mm-hmm. It's not a particularly good word, but it is a word. It's been slightly tangentially what I like, because, okay, we're all saying that irregardless is non-standard, but, but I, don't, I don't know if you guys ever run against this, and this is something that's close to my own heart and I think close to Ross's, is when people correct you and say it's not a word, and not only is it a word, it's also a correct word. It's not even non-standard. Oh, <laughs> I, I know. think, Ross, you can guess what I'm going to say. I'm going to guess, I'm talking Kathy. about the word stupidest. <laughs> Ross and I have done a calendar for many, many years because uh, it was based on a best-selling quote book we had done many, many years ago that was called The Stupidest Things Ever Said. And I can't tell you how many emails and letters we got from people being quite snarky saying, ha, who's stupid? There's no such word as stupidest. And it's like, ha, ha, <laughs> yes, there is a touch. <laughs> and that's a pet peeve of mine for good reason. And people seem to think that we're being less intelligent by saying stupider and stupidest, but we win. <laughs> I just want that out there. <laughs> yeah, in that case, usually, I mean, the reason people say that is usually we modify. There's sort of like a vague rule that usually we modify um, adjectives of a single syllable with er and est, and when they're multiple syllables, we we say you know more stupid or most stupid. Stupid is sort of in between that because it's two syllables, so you can kind of go either way. Usually, um, the rule is if it ends with, I think, an adjective, I mean, a uh, vowel, you do uh, E-R and E-S-T. But if it's a, a consonant, you do, you do more and most. But in both, in both cases, stupider and stupidest are very, cor- are very correct. <laughs> Take that, everybody who wrote us. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking uh, of people writing us and also speaking of, of redundancies, which I guess was kind of the issue with with what I started out with, uh, saying that I wanted to say happy birthday and and with irregardless being a double negative. Another uh, issue that someone has brought up repeatedly um, to to me at this station is when someone on the station says something like the 100 year anniversary rather than the 100th anniversary. And of course, the issue here is that it's redundant, right? Anniversary necessarily has year involved in it. So you wouldn't need to say 100 year anniversary. But I maintain that that the use of that word anniversary has definitely changed enough that it's at least not not horrible to be saying 100 year anniversary, even if it is a little bit redundant. I would agree with you because I think anniversary has sort of become just um, a set like just the event, just a celebration. I don't think you're necessarily thinking year. Do you know what I mean? I think you're absolutely right. I think the year aspect of it is 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 a, like when people say you shouldn't like yeah. I'm just trying. There was an example I just saw the other day. It was somebody's. I think it was a wedding anniversary. Oh, it could be like your. It could be like your six month anniversary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's that's a thing. That's a thing we all understand what that means. Nobody thinks, ha ha, that has anniversary in it. So that's about a year, and you're talking about six months. Nobody thinks that when you say six month anniversary. Never, never. I think you're completely correct, correct to it. I just can't. I mean, it has anus in it, you know, for a year, but no one thinks of it that way. 
in that it's sense. Like decimate, I think it's like Decimate, which we've talked about. It, it reminds me of Decimate, where we know Decimate no longer is used just to mean the number, the deaths part of it, you know? Right. I think Anniversary no longer has the, the Annie part of it, really. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. But that and said, it, it is redundant. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're, the, whoever is getting fed up by it is correct. I mean, it is definitely <laughs> redundant. Uh, public radio <laughs> listeners are passionate. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Oxford here says an extended use can be a period of time. Not necessarily a year. So I think it's perfectly... I mean, not that Oxford is the ultimate authority, but I mean, they're saying it. I think everyone else agrees it's fine. But we were talking about... Actually, there's one with, with Kat that we're talking about with um, pronunciation. Um, it was apparently in the early 19... In the mid-1800s, it was seen as the height of vulgarity to pronounce balcony as balcony. You're, you're supposed to pronounce it as balcony. And that was seen as extremely bad, uh, bad taste to use it the other way. I mean, language changes. Uh, <laughs> Balcony, I kind of like. I'm going to start saying Balcony. <laughs> I, I like Balcony, too. Well, it sounds more Italian. You really do get the Italianate, you know, flavor. Balcony. <laughs> Don't out on the Balcony <laughs> with my Prosecco. <laughs> but, but are you sure? Wouldn't that be too... too Shouldn't it be Balconas? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, rim shots. Bada bing. <laughs> With my Martinez, I'll stand out there then. <laughs> but actually, though, interestingly enough, balcony is in Italian, but it actually comes from German, probably. Oh, wow. Isn't that weird? Yeah. They think it comes from something like Proto-Germanic balco, meaning beam. You never know these things. <laughs> Okay, I've got a reverse pet peeve, figuratively, literally. After basically being fairly liberal and saying we can basically decide how words are used, things change, I stand by liking the literal use of the word literally. I think I like it meaning actually happening versus figuratively happening. What do you guys feel about that? I, I see what you're saying, and I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I think... Um, literally to be like like used hyperbolically is okay because you, you know it's all in tone I think that to me I think it's very contextual if I say something like I was literally steaming I think that you know obviously I'm not saying I was like steaming but I think it it, it emphasizes how, how steamed I was I, I think it's an emphasizing that point and I have no problem with that I, I really don't ha used hyperbolically I, I do if it, in print if I saw someone say it was literally steaming I might have an issue but I certainly think spoken, I have no problem with it whatsoever. I guess my problem with that is that I think literally and meaning actually really happening is a really useful word. Otherwise, if I say, I mean, if I'm speaking, saying the car is literally on fire, that really makes me run out to the car and see it. Whereas if I say, boy, it's hot, but, it's like... But that's contextual. You know it's on fire. I mean... I know that, but I'm just saying it's nice to have like a word that just sums it up really quickly without having to worry about context or whatever it just says it i but i don't think you do i i actually i feel like point counterpoint <laughs> <laughs> slides, but ross you know but i i know i disagree with you i'm sorry i have no problem with like literally used as a hyperbolic up to a point i mean obviously i but i, I i'm gonna now i'm gonna back down a tiny bit but no i actually don't have much of an issue with it what about you fletcher so here's the thing i agree with ross in that i like it being used what it's literally four however if anything's happened over the 50 episodes that we've done together it's that i've loosened up a lot and 
So I'm willing to accept a whole lot of things that maybe I wasn't willing to accept a couple of years ago before we started doing this podcast together. One of those is that I still get a little annoyed with literally inside, but I'm not going to be that bothered by it when anybody says it. I think that's the best summary of it, though, Fletcher. I think you really did a good job of summarizing it. I actually agree with you. I do have one concern. My concern is that when I use literally, and I mean it to mean actually, and I sound like I'm emphasizing what I'm saying, I don't feel like I can trust anymore that people will understand that I really do mean that thing actually happened. Ah, that's interesting. That's what Ross was alluding to. I mean, I don't feel like I can trust that people won't think that I'm just being hyperbolic now. I agree with you. I would say now I'm li- the car is literally, really, really, it's on fire. I wouldn't just say literally on fire like that. I'd probably be screaming as well, though, so there probably would be no problem with context. The one thing I want to toss in, though, is which I hadn't been aware of, was that literally used the way we're talking about is not a new thing. It's been used that way since back in, I think, the 1769 I saw somewhere. Yeah, and I think we've talked about it. it. hyperbolic or metaphoric. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's funny that it's getting us all steamed up now, but I'm wondering all these years, it's yeah, been a problem. I think, I, I, think, I think people over centuries have been steamed up about this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. but, Literally and figuratively. But, you know, I mean, this is a... This is a, this is not a, a consequential example, but uh, the other day I I literally sat in a drive through line at a hamburger restaurant for uh, about 100 minutes. Um, if I if I said to somebody, I literally sat in line for an hour and 40 minutes, they're probably not going to actually think that I sat in line for an hour and 40 minutes. But I did. I actually did. And it was a really good hamburger. Yeah. And, and I really wanted to try it. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it again. But but I was glad, you know, I'm fine with having done it that one time. But but, you know, it, something along those lines would say something a little bit more important. It, it can cause a problem. People think that I'm just being hyperbolic. That that that's where that's where I run into a problem here with this literally thing. Uh, that's a really good example. Um, this is actually sort of alluding back to when we were talking about prefixes, but um, someone, uh, who was it, Emily, sent an email, which I'm now looking for, <laughs> asking us, oh, saying that uh, she said out loud, new and improved, and based on the I am, the M prefix thought, oh crap, does that actually mean new and unproven instead of new and better, like we've been taught? And this goes back to what Ross was talking about with prefixes earlier. Exactly. The Lat- it takes a Latin prefix "-in", which merges when there's an M in front of the word, it becomes M. If there's an L, it becomes "-il", like, it, you know, and if it's an R, it becomes "-er", which we dealt with before. And the problem we get into right now is that the Latin "-in", can mean not, so it's improved means not proved, or it can be various other meanings as we went through earlier it can be an intensifier it can mean into etc the classic example of a problem is inflammable which people took to mean not flammable when all it really meant was really flammable and that's a problem with the language in the case of improve it doesn't mean not prove it means it's more of a a intensifier means uh to to really prove to increase the value i mean doesn't doesn't the prove meant something like um from profit right yeah it, it, the, exactly In improve, right. yeah so yeah. it would be to make the profit better yeah to increase the profit <laughs> oh one one little minor thing do you know how you can tell if it's if it's an in 
one thing is in usually links with uh, when it means not usually links with um, old Latin words, but when it's un, it's usually like um, old uh, Anglo-Saxon words. Oh wow, no, I didn't know that. And then I'm going to throw one last one. I just thought of this. Here's an N word that you never think of: enemy. Ooh, oh, enemy. Enemy. Oh my goodness. Not my friend. Not I my friend. Right? Wow, really? Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love English sometimes. <laughs> There's so many little things that we've run across in the course of writing about words that don't warrant like like extended discussion, but we wanted to talk about. We're calling them in our heads the weird, fun word thing of the day. And in this case, it was uh, the one that we came up with was backronyms. Not acronyms, but backronyms. Acronyms are formed from phrases or names that exist beforehand, like NASA, NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organizations. But backronyms... Backronyms, you assign the words to the initials after the fact, like SOS. I mean, everybody always says SOS is save our ship or save our souls, right? It's an, They say it's an acronym for that. It isn't. SOS was just picked because dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot was easy to send in Morse code. So a lot of times you have these fake things. Posh is another one. You know the word posh, like, oh, that's so posh. People always say it was what? Poured out starboard home. Yes. Which is, which is totally not true. Yeah, because the Apgar test also, the Apgar one is really interesting. Because I remember when my son was born, he had an Apgar score. And they said it was appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, respiration. And I thought that was um, real. But it wasn't. It was a lady, an American doctor named Virginia Apgar, which I never knew. And the Amber, Amber Alert, the same thing. I thought that was an acronym for like something, but it was named after a missing girl, Amber. Yeah, now they say it's the American... Um... America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, which makes sense. But that's not how it started out. That's fascinating. No. It was named after a missing child, Amber. This 50th episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced just like each of the previous 49 episodes by me, Fletcher Powell, in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. You can find all 50 episodes of You're Saying It Wrong at the website of my radio station, KMUW.org. And I'll also take this moment to ask you to leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening that will let you leave us a review. Those reviews, as I say, really do help us because when you leave a review that bumps us up in whatever algorithm it is that they have, I don't actually know how all of that works. I just know that reviews are the things that actually bump us up. So leave us a review. And if you haven't already told every single person you know about the podcast, your friends, your family, your enemies, the people you see on the street, fictional characters, maybe that talking squirrel you met in your dream the other night. Tell them, listen to You're Saying It Wrong. The book You're Saying It Wrong was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that at your local independent bookstore. Order online if you have to. Also be sure to check out Kathy and Ross's most recent book, Awkward Moments. That's word, like what we're talking about, awkward, W-O-R-D. Awkward Moments, a lively guide to the 100 terms smart people should know. And of course, Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. 
Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.